0: Welcome to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we meet with some of the world's best leaders and chat through where they got leadership right, but importantly, where they got it very wrong. Where they stuffed it up, got reprimanded, suspended, or even fired, and all the gory details that go with it. Each week, we'll meet with a new leader, hear their trials, tribulations, and what they have learned from their experiences. Leadership isn't always pretty, is it? but by being vulnerable and talking about our shortcomings, you can grow the empathy within your team and show your team that you're worthy of their trust. So buckle up and let's get ready to hear what it takes to be a braver leader. All right, welcome everybody, welcome team and welcome back. Isabel Campbell, how are you?
1: Thank you for having me back, I'm really good, thank you.
0: That's great, I'm I'm so excited to have you back. I mean, we've been nattering away before we've pushed record here. Uh, So I'm I'm really pleased to to have you back and to kind of continue this discussion. Um, Just to to refresh everybody on who you are and what you do and your long list of of things that you do. Isabel is VP in product and tech at the Financial Times. She's a yoga teacher, a mindfulness teacher, a trainer, a speaker, a coach. She's running marathons. She's running triathlons and now is training for an Ironman. It's true. I should probably caveat it's a
1: half Iron Man. I'd love to do a full one at some point, but I feel like I'll get, let me do the half first and see if I survive.
0: You're right. That makes that list way less impressive. <laughs> important <laughs> clarification. What's, um, what do they call the half? It's a 70.3 or something, isn't
1: it? 70.3. Yeah. The 0.3 is very important.
0: It is. I've 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 actually gone and, uh, and watched some good friends of mine doing a 70.3 in Lanzarote. Um, yeah, yeah, so I know a little bit about it, but not you know, I've never done the actual partaking part, so well, well neither
1: done. have I, so you know, it's on the list, but I've yet to
0: actually do it. Nice, yeah. well, um look, again, it's great to have you back. and and today I think we're we're going to have a chat about uh, organizational mindfulness and being a mindful leader, um something which are, uh, is is very close to my heart, uh, something I'm really passionate about, and I think something that you're very passionate about, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So important. Mindfulness is something that's been really transformational for me. So I can see the benefits and always keen to bring it into other people's lives, whether they know it or not.
0: Mm. Well, let's let's start there, then. Like, uh, let's talk about how it's transformed your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I found mindfulness, I guess, via a coach that I was lucky to find uh, probably 10 12 years ago I was really struggling struggling with my career path struggling with being a new mum struggling with everything really balancing everything self-belief lots of worrying about things questioning things questioning myself all the sorts of things that I frequently work with clients on now as a coach which is why I'm really passionate about it because I really recognize their struggles as my own mm. and this coach that I mentioned that I worked with she had a PhD or so, you know something you know very she was very highly educated in the practices of mindfulness and wow. meditation and she recommended um, a course to me that I went on and it just it was just what I needed to hear and what I needed to practice at that point in my life. It felt the best way I can describe it is it felt like a huge relief to me. Mm. And the thing that I remember, and that I often mention to other people when they ask me about it, is there's nothing that you can control but the present moment. And I think you can hear that and think, yeah, yeah. But for me at the time, I realised I was spending so much time in my head. So I was so much thinking about what happened yesterday. What could I have said to that person? What should I have done in that meeting? Mm. And so much in the future. Right, you know, way into the future. You know, how will I pay my mortgage? When can I retire? How many children might I have? How will Mm. I cope with... X, Y, Z, you know, right down to, I've got a deadline tomorrow. I'm never going to meet it. What do these people think of me? What will my next career step be? You know, oh, all of it constantly thinking ahead,
0: not in the Mm. present moment. Yeah, right. And so the course that you went on was specifically meditation.
1: It was mindfulness practices. So it had gotcha. meditation, and it's interesting, you mentioned that because mm. people, you know, what's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? And yep. people often think that meditation is, you know, a, a very kind of Zen hippie kind of thing, and it has its roots in Buddhism, of course, and there's a whole separate conversation we could have about, you know, how we're taking that that religious practice and what we're doing with it. but but either way, I mean mindfulness as a practice, i e, spending more time in the present moment so that could be guided meditations that I was doing Mm. you know a typical one is the body scan meditation that I learned for the first time there Mm. might just be something that I now use when I'm teaching mindfulness is something that I call cue meditation and for me this is this just encapsulates mindfulness in our busy lives which is when you're standing in the queue to pay for your shopping or right what do you do What do we all do? We all pull our phones out, right? Yeah, yeah. Either to scroll through Instagram to check whether we've had a WhatsApp, to answer work emails, but essentially just to draw ourselves away anywhere other than the present moment. Mm. And we usually do this because we're desperately trying to achieve and multitask at all times, mustn't have any downtime, or because we're bored and we want to distract ourselves. Yeah. Whereas what you can do in that queue is you can just pay attention to the weight of your feet on the floor. You can just check in with how you're holding your shoulders, whether you're tensing up through your face. You can look around you at the colours, the shapes, the other people. And it sounds kind of silly when you say it like that. But for me, that's mindfulness in action. It's nothing fancy. It's not getting up at five o'clock in the morning to sit cross-legged and chant. It can be that, but it's it can be that simple.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, w- one of the things I hear the most is... Uh... I can't stop my mind. So I can't meditate. (laughs) And my favorite response is good news. You don't need to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's what everyone thinks. I thought, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people think, right. That I know I need to actually be able to stop my mind. I must be up early. As you say, sitting cross-legged, you know, kind of in a Zen state exactly um, to, to in order to actually interact with mindfulness And it couldn't be further from the truth, really, hey.
1: Exactly. And you know what? I can't stop my mind either. And sometimes I really wish I could because it is loud and it is busy. And I really Mm. wish it would shut up sometimes. Mm. The thing that is interesting, especially now, because when I first came to this, as I say, it was kind of 10, 12 years ago, something like that. It was still it wasn't in everyone's vernacular. It wasn't talked about so much, whereas now I think it's everywhere and there is a danger that we're you know we're paying money to go on retreats where you know the the most ironic thing is those kind of retreats you read about in magazines or in the paper where it's like come on a digital detox you know come with us we'll lock your phone away in a box and we'll take you off into the woods and we'll meditate and we'll chant brilliant you don't have to pay someone else to do that by the way like you can literally just turn your phone off and put it in a drawer it's Mm. really hard of course um and you know come on this course you know go and see a mindfulness coach and I'm not saying that I don't play into that in some ways you know I was just sharing with you that I've recently been on a retreat Mm. I work with people you know myself to, to coach mindfulness but something that's really interesting is and and I've I've definitely been fallen foul of this is you don't have to Do all the things. It doesn't have to be another thing on your to do list. Sometimes it is just doing nothing. And I really notice this that I'm buzzing around from my desk to the kitchen to put the laundry out, to be on a call, to, you know, pack the kids' lunch boxes for tomorrow, you know, whatever it is. And I'm listening to a podcast at any minute that I've got in between that just to make sure I'm doing something actually. Can I sometimes just sit down and do nothing
0: for. <laughs> <this>. <laughs> yeah, We, we actually talk, talked about that before we recorded as well, didn't we? That uh, one of my, we're essentially talking about resilience, weren't we linking back to the to our previous um, uh, chat and you, you asked me, what do you do? Yeah. And, and my favorite, one of my favorite things, like I really love to dance mm-hmm. like, and so I'll put music on and just have a little boogie. and and like in that moment like i'm connected to that thing and it makes me feel amazing and i'm doing something which doesn't involve anything else you know i'm not i'm not purposefully going right i'm going to do a dance now i'm just going this feels amazing and i'm just connecting with something else and doing essentially nothing i'm not doing entirely nothing but i'm doing you know uh, something which is not connected to all of the other thousand things that are going on in my head and life right Yeah and you mentioned the word connected a couple
1: of times there and that's exactly what it is it's that connection to something to some kind of higher purpose you know some people find that through religion Mm -hmm. some people find that through the purpose that they have in their work you know maybe they do charity work maybe it's something like that we all have a different purpose Mm -hmm. and we're just so busy on the treadmill of achieving ticking things off achieving goals objectives you know I am absolutely you know the worst for this it's always what have I done what have I achieved today this week and so on but for me it's finding those precious and small moments in between to connect to whatever my higher purpose is whenever I feel most in touch with who I am whenever Mm. I can build that awareness of what's going on for me because if we don't tune in to ourselves we're just denying that part of ourselves we're just pushing it away you know just to focus on doing and churning and for Mm -hmm. me the essence of mindfulness is about being not about doing so when you're standing in that queue and you don't pick your phone up you don't automatically go to text someone you're just allowing yourself to be rather than do
0: yeah yeah yeah. one of my teachers actually said that to me have some time being a human being rather than a human doing Right. right um what your your um your cue meditation I, I really uh relate to and i i love that what one of the things that i will often do is just i live near the river right luckily and i so i walk down the river and i remember when i was doing my mindfulness course and uh you know the the um tutor encouraged us to go for a walk and and look around and i noticed how much Firstly, I noticed how often I'm looking at my phone when I'm even bloody walking. (laughs) But that's hazardous, right? I mean, it's just hazardous and everybody does it, right? And so now when somebody is walking and they're looking at their phone and they look up and they say, sorry, it's like, don't worry, I do it all the time. (laughs) Um, um, But what I noticed walking around the river was that there are parakeets in London. And I'd never noticed that before. Yeah. And so these little green parakeets, which I thought were reserved for Australia, live <laughs> in the trees around the River of London. And yeah. I was like, man, that is fascinating. And purely because I put my phone away. In fact, I now leave my phone at home um, and, and go for a walk. The one reason I used to take it with me all the time is that sometimes I'd stop and get a coffee and I wanted to be able to pay. So I actually bought an Apple Watch, which has no notifications on it, and um, and, and I can just pay for things with it, right? So that was my, my motivation for doing it, not sponsored by Apple. Um, yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and I just, when I'd walk, would start going, oh, I love what you said about shapes, like, oh, what shapes can I notice? What colors do I notice? And then I started looking up and I saw the birds and it was like, oh, man, this is incredible. So
1: a couple of things there that really resonate with me. So one of them is you just said looking up. And that's another thing I say to people, particularly people Mm. who are a little bit cynical about this mindfulness meditation thing. So there's the Q one Mm. and then there's the looking up when you walk. So if you're in London, like in central London or any city, any town, anywhere look up like look two feet higher than you might otherwise look and I don't mean if you're looking at your phone I mean if you're actually just walking and looking straight ahead of you but you know even when we're walking and we're not looking at our phone we're in our heads right we're thinking of the to-do list if you're like me you're having a conversation with someone in your head you're Mm -hmm. planning something you're replaying something it's busy 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 so actually if you just look up a couple of feet higher notice the amazing architecture or even if it's not amazing architecture it's just different shapes different things to look at Mm. particularly in London it really is amazing and you just think mm. gosh I never noticed you know I knew that there was a Pret there and a Starbucks mm. there and three more prets there but I didn't realize that it was underneath all this amazing architecture mm. and that is a form of meditation so it doesn't mm. have to be this formal big thing it can just be that you know just just looking up so that was one thing mm. another thing you said about notifications there so again a step towards someone's mindfulness journey might just be it might not be doing something new it might just be stopping the status quo Mm. so i have the absolute minimum of notifications on everything Mm. so (laughs) i used to have an apple watch i changed it because for, for purposes of sport but i have you know a similar thing that's a smartwatch, and i have absolutely every notification switched off same on my phone yeah it on i have no notifications pop up i have it on focus mode same with my work my emails you know if i choose to go into my inbox i can look but nothing yep. pops up no noises no vibrations no pop-ups mm. because how can i possibly be mindful even on the task at hand never mind just being present minded with all this constant need to be on all the time
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you're so right i mean we have so much information coming at us, don't we? And I guess mindfulness becomes the ability to select when you engage with it, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly that, yeah. And it's hard, it's really hard. I mean, the technology that we have today is helpful in so many ways that actually it really doesn't help with our pursuit of more peace, I find. Like, you have to be really proactive Mm. um organized about seeking peace which sounds kind of counterintuitive but things like pausing the notifications you know just mm. no to things leaving yeah. the phone at home when you go for a walk and I find people mm. have of the excuses it's like oh but I use it for this oh but I need it for that there's always a solution yeah the same me you know I do a lot of running and I like to listen to music or you know sometimes a podcast or something when I'm running so I need my phone for that so I put it on airplane mode and I just tell myself that's on airplane mode now you've downloaded the thing it's mm. on airplane mode you're not turning off airplane mode until you come back that's it yeah nice
0: nice okay so let's flick it to the the kind of organizational and leadership side of things so in your coaching world i'm imagining that you work with a lot of leaders where there is a bit of this board and and I guess what's the link here? So how do how do people specifically who are leading teams, businesses, and I guess leadership has a broader um, broader meaning, doesn't it? It's not you're not just necessarily a leader who's leading people. You can be a leader in a business without having a a a team under you, by the way you, you know your way of being, right? But yeah, what's the link here, and how do you help leaders be more mindful?
1: so you it's an interesting thing you say there i was debating this point with someone the other day do you have to be a manager of people to be a leader and do you and if you are a manager of people does that make you a leader and no i don't think it does i think leadership is a quality it's yeah. a you know a way of being so mm. on that basis for me being mindful is super important there because mindfulness starts with an awareness of the self so you can think that mindfulness starts with listening to a guided meditation you know chanting mm. whatever all of this kind of stuff but actually it's an awareness of the of the inside mm. for me it's, it's kind of finding ways to shut out the external and focus on the internal mm. thereby controlling the narrative I mean controlling is quite a strong word but you know the only thing that you can control in life is your response to situations. Another yep. kind of takeaway for me as I started this whole mindfulness journey. So, you can't control what other people around you are going to do, what your people that work for you or that you work for or the business as a whole is going to do. You can't control the external environment, the markets, you know, whatever's relevant to you. If you're a parent, you definitely can't control what your children are going to do, much as you might like to think that you can. <laughs> the only thing you can control is your response. Yeah. And so for me, that awareness is super important. And I see lots of people in leadership positions, unfortunately, who, to my mind, really lack that self-awareness. And that can be quite damaging and toxic to the people that work with them and for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, links directly to emotional intelligence, doesn't it? And I mean, emotional intelligence, I think... um... I was reading an article on this recently and it's, it's broken. Well, the the guy who wrote it, um, I think this is Goldman, but broke it into five areas. Uh, So emotional intelligence is self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. I think I've got that right. Um, All of which (laughs) kind of require that. Okay. uh, If I'm going to, succeed in this um, in this realm or in this um, if and it's, it's a lot about cultural kind of uh, cultural capital and social capital isn't it by doing the right things I'm going to need to be aware of how I'm acting and how I'm affecting other people and then regulating myself when I'm actually interacting with them right exactly that and you can't
1: do any of those other things without having the awareness first that has to come first yeah I always say that to people, whether we're talking mindfulness, whether we're coaching, talking positivity, self-belief, whatever it is, the first step to change is awareness. Yeah. People often say to me, you know, how do you how do I increase my confidence? How do I increase my self-belief? How do I get rid of my imposter syndrome? Whatever the thing is. And I feel like they want me to give them a magic wand, a magic tool. But what I will give them to start with is start tuning in start listening so for a lot of people it's that negative inner voice that inner critic that they've got that might be saying to them you can't do this you know people that are going through a challenge you know on, on the theme of leaders people that are going through a challenging time at work you know perhaps they're organizing a restructure perhaps they've been brought into. to sort out a team that's not performing very well perhaps they've got some hard decisions to make a lot of the time we will be plagued with that voice that says you can't do this Mm -hmm. the person before you didn't manage it successfully and look what's happened you why do you think you'll be any different you've Mm -hmm. made the decision yeah those kind of voices and so By tuning in and building awareness of it, it might not feel very comfortable or very nice and it might not provide you the instant solution. But that's your first step is building awareness, because then you can layer on the next step, which is around reframing. Mm. I think we talked a bit about this last time, that kind of CBT technique that says, is there another way of looking at this? And for me, that's all interconnected with mindfulness, because until you can tune into the inner voice and build that self-awareness, you're not going to be able to take action.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's that, yeah, as you say, is the the entire prerequisite, isn't it? Until you can actually have a conversation or a, a, um, take a view. And actually, I, I was thinking about this, as you were saying before, I still remember the first time I came, became aware of my thoughts um, it was such an amazing moment. I was sitting on a plane going to the Gold Coast to see my sister, and um, from flying from New Zealand to Australia, and I was going through a bit of a shitty time. And I was reading The Power of Now, yes. and you know, uh, great book. Um, and I, I I remember him saying, "Okay, next time you have a thought, notice that you've had a thought, and then notice the 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 gap when you notice." And I just remember going, "Oh." and like this this kind of rush of emotion of like I'm not my mind (laughs) Um, and so and that that was the sort of beginning of that for me and it's that absolute change of perception or change of viewpoint of oh I'm just thinking and and then I have a couple of other vivid memories of, of one walking to work when I first moved to London, and I was I was grumpy about something, and um, I I just remember going oh I'm grumpy, yeah, and I was like oh, <laughs> and you know that's something I've continued to develop, but that's and you know and it's made me and I, I want to talk about this as well. It's made me so much happier. Yes. Um, uh, and actually, like I'll, I'll come onto it now. Eh? Like I, I talk with people about this all the time. People who have a negative uh, kind of outlook on life, glass half empty, right? And there's plenty of us, or plenty of them, because I'm not one of them anymore. But you don't have to stay that way. And this is the there's actual empirical research which says if you um, if you meditate or in interact in mindfulness, that you can shift from um, left prefrontal uh, sorry right prefrontal cortex, which is glass half empty, to left prefrontal cortex, which is glass half full. Uh, and, and it's through interacting in that simple practice.
1: I am literally proof of that.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> That's why, I, you know, you said you're not that anymore. Same for me. Used to be like that. Not like that anymore. Mm. because of these practices and that's what I mean you know you mentioned that book which is a great book and it's you know it's the power of now the power Mm. that's exactly what it is but it's such a small it's such a seemingly innocuous thing Mm. you know for you you noticed that when you were on a flight and it was like transformative moment by the sounds of it you had this flood of emotions like same for me I was you know going through this difficult time I had a coach who said some of these things to me and I'd probably read them in books or magazines before just wasn't the right moment and then I suddenly got it that as I you know as I said it was relief for me it was like oh there is another way yeah you know and you said you know you were feeling grumpy oh I'm grumpy Mm. (laughs) when you say that to someone that perhaps isn't ready to to make that transformation they're like well yeah and what like what are you saying but it's that thing of you know if you're let's say you're trained you miss your train or your train's late and you're late you're late for a meeting that okay that's happened it's in the past now yeah. you're late you can choose to just be late or you can choose to be late and really grumpy about it yeah 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 choose how that affects the rest of your day yeah and that again was a huge turning point for me it was like we don't have to catastrophize about everything mm. we don't have to cling on to the negative thing and let it permeate the rest of the day we can acknowledge, okay i'm feeling really annoyed about that and then what are the feelings that are coming with it for me it would always be well i should have left home earlier what an idiot i you know why did i not do that why can't i even be on time for a meeting okay let's let those all play through acknowledge the thoughts that are there and then choose make a choice choose mm. how you respond you can't control what's happened so let's control how we respond and it's really hard and it takes loads of practice but that awareness that you are not your thoughts mm. step one and for me that was revelatory
0: yeah, love that. Love that. And so what about organizations? What can we do uh, in in kind of broader organizational settings to uh bring some mindfulness practices in and uh and help kind of yeah infiltrate the, the broader setting?
1: It's a challenging one, which is really close to my heart because there is a business case for mindfulness. You know, there is a business case to say that if we can get people doing all of the things that you and I have just talked about it will mm. have such an impact on productivity on growth on you know the amount of time people take out sick with stress and all the rest of it and yet it's still really challenging to mm. get that in the in the hearts and minds of executives and leaders and i'm not just talking about you know let's say you wanted to sell a package of coaching or a program to you know to an organization like google do this um this leadership program i think it's called search inside yourself or something like that something google-ish and it's really expensive to to run for most people's training budgets but it sounds amazing i've never been on it i'd love to mm. um, but the biz- so there's a business case there but actually selling that to organizations is is a challenging thing along with all the other competing things that you could spend your training budget on mm. So we know, we know all the benefits, you and I know all the benefits, we've just talked about them, but actually getting that in front of businesses and leaders is hard. I run a a mindfulness, weekly mindfulness session at the Financial Times, it's just a 10 minute thing, there's no commercial attached to it, it's just a thing that I do. Mm. And people say they want it, and they're really keen on it, but attendance, I've got like a core loyal following I've been doing it for three yeah coming up three years started in the pandemic but actually people just don't make the time for it they don't they say they want to do it but they don't make the time for it so how do you get that in front of people same with yoga I run you know a yoga practice and people everyone said they wanted it and we were oversubscribed and how are we going to fit everyone in but the reality is I get the same few people coming each week which is brilliant and I love it but it's something about people's intention and what they want to do and what they know that they could do for their own well-being and actually executing on it so with that in mind to answer your question I think it's about role modeling mm. and I probably talked about this last week I always talked this last time sorry I always talk, talk about this it's role modeling mm. that, that mindfulness so it's not always in the most obvious ways so you might assume that someone like me, that works in a you know corporate environment, I have a a, a large, fairly large team. You know, I, I am a leader in that sense, and also a mindfulness and a yoga teacher. You know, you might expect that I'm terribly zen, wafting around the office. You know, being bringing calming vibes to everyone. Probably not that. You know, that's that's just not my kind of natural way of being. But I hope what I role model is that awareness of self, that awareness of humanity of making mistakes you know I frequently ask for feedback I frequently invite people to tell me if the way that they're receiving my leadership style it it works for them or not Um, and for me again that's role modeling that awareness I acknowledge that I will make mistakes and continue to make mistakes I acknowledge that things are hard I acknowledge that it is hard you know my I have a I have a wonderful boss who said to me couple of weeks ago last week maybe in fact maybe it was even this week it's been one of those weeks he said to me you know you, you'll ne- you are never done like this machine will eat you up if you let it so mm-hmm. you have to take the time to just step away yeah. and in the nicest possible way if you went under a bus tomorrow everything would continue like yeah. things would just continue to roll on and yeah. for me That is an example of mindful leadership because he's not saying, oh, yeah, you know, shame, it's really hard, but never mind. We need to deliver, deliver, deliver. He's saying, take a step back, get some perspective, think about the fact that you could. And one of my peers said the same to me. It was one of the best things I heard last week. She said to me, you could disappear off for a couple of months, figure out what you need to do strategically, how you need to you know, run the team and all these challenging things that I've been grappling with. Everything would carry on as it was and then you could come back. And for me, I really value being surrounded by people like that, my boss, my peers, because for me, that is role modeling, mindful leadership. It's not just about the output, the delivery. It's about, okay, we're human beings. We're never going to get it all. It's never going to be done. The job is never going to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the and even probably just role modeling the willingness to to engage with that stuff hey and you're you're absolutely right and again as evidence you know there's the studies there's research um on on the fact that people look around for how to behave right in fact i was i had a coaching client this morning and him and i were talking about that exact thing um i I don't know if we talked about this on our last um catch up but you know there's a funny reason some funny research where they Uh, they put an actor in the bathroom after people had gone to the toilet and the actor was washing their hands. And when um, this is just to kind of make the point of, as as to how people, you know, look around them. If there was someone in there washing their hands, 95% of people wash their hands. If there (laughs) there wasn't, only 20% of people did.
1: I don't want to know about that. (laughs) So, wash your hands, people.
0: Yeah, wash your hands, people, especially now, God. Um, but um, yeah, the, the point being that that's, that's right. what people do, right? They go, and this is uh, this is cultural capital kind of discussion, right? Like, what do I need to do? How do I need to act to fit in? And if they see somebody who, and this is another point, right? That somebody who's got um, organizational capital capital, because of their position and we forget that right like it, you, your brain tells you you're still the the 18 year old that's just getting into a job uh, but actually you're vp of product and tech at the financial times and therefore um, you know people look to you and go "Ooh, right carry some swagger right like that carries some sway and so they they look to you even more oh what does she do Okay, cool. Then I should do that to fit in, right? Because I'm going to be rewarded if I do that stuff. So that's super important, hey?
1: Yeah, and I think that's leadership, isn't it? It's acknowledging that and being aware of it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm frequently looking around the room for the grown-up and then I realize it's probably me, which is a you know terrifying realization. <laughs> because yes, like you say, I'm still... 18 and I don't really I mean yeah I'm definitely not but you know I still have that feeling of like well I haven't got it figured out so who's going to come along and and tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do but I guess that's part of growth and you know I don't know maturing or knowledge or experience or whatever it is but it's it it is exactly that you know we're the grown-ups and people will look to us as the grown-ups yeah. Um, and so having that humility and vulnerability Mm. it's really important because you know I've worked with people who like to give the impression that they've got it all figured out and you know what there's a place for that like we need people who you know appear to be in control because otherwise Mm. Mm. you know if the the ultimate boss looks worried everyone else starts to feel worried so there is absolutely a place for giving off the appearance of being in control I'm, I'm not suggesting that there isn't But on a smaller, more human level, when you're interacting with your teams as human beings, for me, that vulnerability is really important. You know, Mm. and I I probably said this last time I've moved into a a role within products and technology, having spent the last 17 years of my career in finance. So Mm. there is a lot that I don't have. Like lived experience of. Mm. I rely on my teams to, to help me with and I don't look at that and think oh it means I'm not good enough for this job I mean I find yep. humans, don't get me wrong mm. but I I look at that and think well here I am as a human I've got the value I've got to bring but I need other people to help me and I'm not in any way afraid to ask for that help
0: yeah 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 I, I love that and sort of what what's kind of um, I'm picking up underlying there is this Uh, kind of openness because you've changed your perspective of your thoughts and you understand that if you haven't got it figured out and you're panicking it's just a thought Mm. (laughs) Mm. so that openness to feedback that openness to be vulnerable and that shift to then say and and yeah to to talk and interact differently with people hey
1: Yeah, and I think I am extremely open as a person. I can't like I can't lie, you know. I I am what I am, Mm. and I'm aware that that has its limitations too, and and that careful there because, you know, there are times when people will look to you to check that everything's okay, and that will look to you to kind of say, right, I need you to make a decision here, and and that's fine, and sometimes you have to lock down that openness to to get things done, and to know when it's appropriate and when it's not. But I think it invites that vulnerability and openness invites trust in other people yeah if people can see me publicly making a mistake and acknowledging it and owning it or you know just being that vulnerable and open then i think it invites that in them too whereas yeah. i think you give off the impression you know everything's always fine i'm completely in control every decision i make is the right decision people think oh it's not okay for me to slip up and make mistakes it's not okay for me to be human and I think that creates a toxic environment personally I would much rather be in an open and maybe sometimes slightly chaotic environment but that is human
0: yeah yeah I totally agree with you okay well look it's always a pleasure talking to you I think we could probably do this for hours but uh, give me uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here give me your top takeaways from our discussion
1: Top takeaways from our discussion are that thing of awareness, building awareness is the number one thing. If you if anyone listening to this wants to do one thing differently, it's to do that. And it reminds me to keep doing that. So when I started doing that, sometimes I had to like write it down, you know, awareness of thoughts. And then it became more and more natural and I could access it much more easily so that's number one and then number two I think I'm going to do what you said about leaving my phone at home to go for a walk because I so for example in an hour or so I've got to walk into town to go to an appointment and I've already thought to myself oh good I'll finish listening to that podcast I was listening to but actually maybe I won't maybe I will leave the headphones and the phone at home and I will just do what you did and I will walk and I will look up a bit. I'm not going to see any parakeets here, but, you know, I will see lots of other shapes and colors and, and I will be mindful.
0: Amazing. Look, uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, I'm sure there will probably be more of these. Um, but yeah, thank you again and we'll speak to you soon, hey?
1: Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we discuss with leaders where they got leadership right, but also where they got it very, very wrong. If you'd like to know more visit us on braverleaders.com or you can email us directly on team at braverleaders.com stay tuned and we'll see you very very soon